0: This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, podcast. Powered by our vision group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode.
1: In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people and that's where Aubition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, Providing you with insights into the current market and your competition. Benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting OrbitionGroup.com.
0: Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Steve Pimblett, who is the Chief Data Officer at the Very Group. So, Steve, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah,
2: thanks for having me, Kyle.
0: No, it's all right. I am looking forward to this. Um, so, where we always start, Steve, is by asking our guests to give themselves, a, I guess, a brief introduction into their background and journey to date up until this point in time. If, uh, if you'd be so kind.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so, um, oh, I am getting old, Kyle. So, I'll. I'll it was a while ago, but I actually did a degree in statistics and computing uh, in my hometown of Liverpool. Um, so who'd, who'd have thought sort of doing that degree would lead into a whole industry, really? It was sort of pre-internet, which is terrible. Um, and, you know, the the growth of digital data technology um, and now the chief data officer role, sort of that course was perfect for it. So it was called Applied Statistics and Computing and was sort of the a great foundation for everything I've sort of built on since then. So that was sort of um, ground zero. Um, I spent ooh, about 10 to 12 years in the startup. Um, that was very much writing technology for clothing companies, which actually is a real data challenge because of product, colour, fit and size. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I moved to money supermarket. Uh, I was the pre-IPO and post-IPO as their general manager of data. Um, so that was fantastic. So that's really where um, I got an appreciation of data strategy into action. Um, the CEO at the time was a gentleman called Peter Plum. He was ex Dunhumby, and there's an awful lot of innovation in the UK come out of Dunhumby. So we got to sort of understand that firsthand, and and be in a you know a real growth industry in in comparison websites during that period. Um, And then I um, moved into gambling. Um, So think Betfair, Bet365. It was a Scandinavian-owned company, actually, called Betson, who were one of the largest digital companies on the Swedish NASDAQ, um, where I was the chief data officer. So that was the first exec role that I had. Um, After that, moved into startup again, which was um, a company called Wejo who are a connected car startup company, um, ingesting huge volumes of data from connected cars and, and monetizing it, um, which leads me to my current role. Um, just over two and a half years ago, um, I joined the Very Group, um, which is the old Littlewoods business, for those that don't know, um, to be their first ever chief data officer. Um, and that's um, where my journey is, uh, is at the moment.
0: Nice, nice. Well, we've got, um, Steve, twenty, ne- nearly 28,000 listeners in 140 different countries, as it stands of today. So there'll be some people that won't know the very group and might not know what Littlewoods is. So just give us a bit more context about the very group, kind of who you are, what you do, etc.
2: Sure. Yeah. So um, the very group today is one of the largest UK and Ireland um pure retail digital retailers um so it offers everything other than grocery so electrics fashion beauty sports home um garden um you sort of name it very.co.uk and, and very.ie will will sell it so i think online catalog all digital um, and offering everything from um, you know a, a teacup right the way through to sofas and electrics at a big at big scale. Um, so that's that's where we are today. Uh, propositionally, it offers both this um, multi category retail proposition, but also coupled with credit. So we're actually, one of the UK's um, biggest lenders outside of banks to help. Um, or shoppers um, who might want to spread the cost, especially if you know you're buying the latest massive TVs or um, new range of sofas, that that high end stuff. Um, so that's that's who um, very are today. Historically, it, it's actually it was founded in, I think it was 1890, um, the first ever um, UK catalogue, I think it is which was Kay's K's and Company, I think it was branded at the time. That became Littlewoods as well. It had a you know a shops business as well. So it was a it was a bricks and mortars business. And there's many people in the UK who will know Kay's and Littlewoods' catalogue. Um especially if you're my age, you used to spend your Christmases um flicking through hundreds and hundreds of pages, circling what you wanted from Father Christmas. Um so that that whole business so the transformation at Berry has, you know, been over over centuries actually, and, and Berry.co.uk is just the latest transformation to close all the stores and make it a pure online digital retailer.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah. So I guess obviously you've been there
2: a little over
0: two years. I guess just give us an insight into the purpose of you coming in into that kind of CDO role, you know, what, what the, the task of achievement that you're do. you know, looking to get out of you. What what was that?
2: Sure, yeah, I think um very like many companies are starting to think about how to leverage their data asset to to drive and create value um from a company perspective. Um and I think very spotted that opportunity. So um with just with the sheer scale of of the of the data that they have. So what have we got about four and a half million customers who um visit, you know, daily. Um, on every digital touch point imaginable from, you know, your desktop to your mobile through, you know, TikTok, Facebook ads, whatever it may be. This huge array of, of data from a digital perspective. Then you've got um, about 250,000 SKUs, stock and keeping units, so products, if you want to call it that at any one time. Um, we have a financial service offering where we're doing fraud and credit checking, and you know a whole proposition there. So the scale of the data and the opportunity to leverage it, um, I think, was the driver behind wanting a chief data officer. My, my remit is very much to, you know, when I when I join to come in and create, uh, you know, a mission and a vision for for Veris Data. Um, in the context of its business model and you know very much how do we drive how do we drive uh, value from this amazing customer centric asset that very has
0: yeah absolutely so I think I mean there's obviously a lot of debate and conversation in the industry now right about um, data being a cost center and how do you get value from data and analytics and and I guess more importantly how do you quantify what that value is and then articulate that in business terms back to the business and there's a whole plethora of of things that that go into that i'm I'm sure but i guess a great starting point steve would probably be just to get your opinion on why do you think that some data teams out there within organizations are still viewed as being a a cost center what's driving that
2: yeah i think well i guess it's the historically um you know, your data company or your, your data department um, might have been associated with technology. So, you know, really um, in the weeds, data, data page engineers, you know, that that type of BAU scene resource, um, doing the plumbing. No one really knew what they did. Everyone only needed them and therefore it's treated as a cost. Yep. So you end up as a cost center on some P&L and probably treated that way. So, you know, year on year, can you hold cost, things like efficiency, you know, productivity, um, cost, total cost of ownership, storage, whatever it may be as a data unit, it's probably how you were set from a P&L perspective as a, as a cost center. So it comes from that, I guess, traditional, um uh, accounting see of of technology and data type functions that's the starting point uh, yeah. from my perspective
0: yeah 100% so i guess then obviously and i know this is something that you've been you know thinking about a, a lot at uh, uh, very, But I guess what tangible things have you done or can other data leaders do um, to, I guess, you know, start to move the needle away from being seen as a cost center to be seen as, you know, a, a value adding, value creating function within an organization?
2: Yeah, it's, well, it's a great, great question. And I think that's the one of the primary roles of the chief data office uh, and the chief data officer. Um, so for, for me, it comes back to your team mission vision strategy and, and kpis um so i'll probably frame it in, in how i've approached that really so so ve- very early into my tenure at, at very um I implemented a four pillar data strategy um which uh, data insight action are the, are the three pillars that we talk about about value creation um, and that tends to be the flow of data and the flow of value. come back to that in a second. So think of that as data as an asset, value creation. And then we've also got a trust pillar because you can't really talk about um, data in, in, in today's um, age without talking all things risk, ethics, privacy, security, GDPR now, AI Act, et cetera. So there's a trust pillar and to some extent that's data as a liability. So. Data is as an asset. Data is as a liability, um, and those four pillars sort of spin across those two things. Um, let's talk about value creation. Then, so data insight action is that flow of value. I think it's very important to frame how you can create value, uh, which leads to sort of KPIs and, and, and sort of mission statements. So we we say we're here to do two things: delight customers with more personalized experiences. So for very. Being a customer, you know, B to C, you can imagine the tangibility of taking the data to make the experience better. So that's quite a tangible discussion you can have with an exec and board. So that's, you know, that's a really um, target audience one is delighting our customers. The others is there's 4,000 people at very. Um, making day in day out decisions. Um, so we also talk about them as our audience and we wanna um, enable them to make better decisions. So what we say is trusted data products and services. So you sort of got two communities from which you can therefore talk about value. Um, and that's how we how we tend to do it. So delighting customers with more personalized experiences and enabling colleagues to make better decisions. So then you're not really talking about data, you're talking about the outcome. Um, And that's how we've like spun into a value creating discussion rather than what's the cost of storage and processing.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. Now, that makes uh, that makes perfect sense. And and I guess just to kind of get your steer on this then, because I, I think this is what I see quite a lot of is it. The, the context of the environment that a chief data officer is in and, you know, their relationship with the other board, uh, et cetera, um, often plays quite a pivotal role in this. So it seems like you are very customer centric here, right? You know, it's it, whichever way you're looking at your customers, whether it be the customers that buy your products or your customers who are your colleagues who make decisions with data, it's about creating value for them. But how do you go about measuring what that value is? Is and I guess what's yeah. the relationship with you know the bigger businesses to what they're expecting out of that value creation? If that makes sense, yeah,
2: yeah, it does. Yeah, it's a great question because, um, especially being a chief data officer, I guess you should be be data driven with that. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, so we we set ourselves like annual OKRs, objectives and key results. Um, you know, so let's top level KPIs. So um, what what have we got? We've got things like drive self-serve for decisioning. So that's, you know, how many of our 4,000 colleagues are leveraging some of the Insight BI capabilities that we build? Uh, Are they using it? Because that will be the first touch point. If they're not using our analytical products, they're probably not making data-driven decisions. So we see a correlation between teams that, Leverage our self-serve analytics capability and better decisions. So we'll 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 measure that. Um we also do a lot where um we are measuring the value we create for customers, um, normally through either some form of A-B test, if, if for a digital company, that's a great place to be, or some type of quasi eye measurement. So let me give you some some tangible examples. Um so we uh have got a website and we have got some hypotheses about how we could better serve a customer through the website we'll launch an a b test which is you know a split test for the uh, visitor volume half of them will go through proposition a half of them will go through proposition b and we'll measure the benefits and data a lot of our data teams are driven in that way so create analytical hypotheses with the business on how they could improve their performance and measure it Mm. so that's a that's another good example and a tangible example of how we um you know measure our value um so normally in conjunction with a business unit so we're not marking our own homework we're directly linked to their business kpis
0: yeah yeah that makes sense and i guess the relationship then from um, business standpoint does that then take you into the conversation around which everyone else is talking about but roi or shareholder value or all of that type of stuff i guess from the business okrs it's looking at well what are we getting from delighting our customers right
2: yeah that's it see you and that's where the conversation becomes one of value creation so it's it doesn't become and I still get this, but Steve, can you optimize your cost and help us drive, you know, efficiencies? I'll still have a lot of those questions. Any any company does, especially, you know, in the current climate. But I do get an awful lot of questions of we want to grow our customer base. How do you think we should approach that? You know, and we'll go, well, oh, actually, we've got a single customer view, we've got some segmentation, we think you should target this base in this way. And they're asking us about their business problems and how to create, you know, growth. And as you say, a lot of it framed in the customer. Um, so they're 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 bringing those problems to us and looking for data and analytical solutions. And that that's where that data insight action frame works quite well, because yeah. very much um, if you're not careful, and I've done this in my career, you know, you can build an amazing data warehouse or data lake. And then someone's going to say, how do you create value from it? So you tend to answer that with some BI. You know, look, I've put something on top of it. That means you can visualize your data and explore it, which is, again, brilliant. What value is that created then? And for me, the most important question is the last question, which is what action are you doing? Are you you driving a better media mix? Are you better targeting customers? Have we got more efficient with our decision making? Have we built automation, which is sort of action pillar um and very much my team found it difficult initially because they were very much uh, i call it dna to play a, a bit of words on forensics as well but they were very dn heavy data and insight heavy and not really connected to the value and the company and the strategy and really that's the bit that i've been wiring over the last couple of years is don't show me the d and the n Show me the action that we're going to take that, that drives value, efficiency, productivity, better customers' experience, et
0: cetera. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think, to be honest with you, most data analytics journeys start out that way, right? You know, yeah. every conversation that, that I have, especially with a business that is earlier on in that journey, tends to be, you know, oh, well, we've built this great platform. And it's like, well, that's great, but I'm sure the board or your CEO is going to want to know, so what? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Right? Which yeah, is... Exactly. Yeah, so one so what, so what yeah.
2: question, definitely,
0: hundred percent. Um, you talked there about the the four pillars. Um, be keen to kind of get into a bit more detail on kind of how that's you know how you landed on those four pillars, and I guess what the importance of of those four pillars are for you. You know, as individual pillars, and and then how they tie together.
2: Yeah, um, it probably well, it st- started early in my career actually so it was at money supermarket so you know I was general manager of data um gosh that was must have been 15 years ago something like that now so it's, it's before the chief data officer role existed and I was you know the senior person at money supermarket called general manager of data responsible for a data pillar so like, well, I need to sort of break that down into some type of way of communicating, which is where some of those four pillars started. And also um, wanting to measure maturity. Um, and again, it was sort of pre-CDO stuff. So there wasn't, you know, maybe a data IQ network you can go to and or a on CDO office um, where you can measure yourself, et cetera. So, the, the embryos came from there, um, and I applied the four pillars at Money Supermarket. Um, and then I, I actually just have reused it everywhere, I've gone in a slightly different way. So, just as a way of articulating an approach to data strategy and to um, capability maturity. Um, so, that was the framework. In terms of applying it, so very much, um i've actually got a mathematical formula that um does a maturity assessment of the four pillars and then can calculate like a top level value statement so um Mm -hmm. if you think of each pillar i give it a score out of five and then i've got a formula that translates into a score out of 100 Um, and it depends upon the company and how value creation they, they want to be So uh, uh, at the very group, um, it's um, D plus A, sorry, D plus N plus A plus T times A. If you do the maths on that, it's sort of a five times 20, which gives you a score out of 100. And the big emphasis on that as a model is the A because that's the multiplier. So it's very much a value creation measurement framework. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, our, our CEO loves it that much. It's one of the big strategic KPIs at, at Very. Um, under the bonnet, what is it? It's a maturity assessment of the capabilities in each of the three. So within data, I'd be looking at um, your data storage, processing, scalability, completeness. So a lot of the technical elements that you need under the bonnet to foundationally manage data. Yep. So there's a there's a scoring framework there. The insight pillar tends to be covered across two things, descriptive analytics. So, you know, B- BI, that type of thing, and predictive analytics. So data science, AI, machine learning. So a bit of a score on that one. Um, trust tends to be privacy, security, GDPR, risk, ethics, So some type of maturity assessment there. And the last one is always the hardest because it's action and you're like, well, oh, how does that fit across? That's the one I probably tailor with the organization where you'll say, well, Very is a retailer. It's a B2C. So the actions are going to come from marketing. It's going to come from digital customer experience. It's going to come from um, making decisions within retail and things like stock. And I tend to list the capabilities that I think can be data driven and, and score them. Um, So then in general, I've got a maturity assessment and I've got a language and a way of talking. And also it helps when it comes to investments, because I can say, you know, if you believe in the correlation between better data insight, action and trust, and you think that's a value creator, I think I need X hundred or X million to be able to move our capability in data science. And everyone wants this at the moment, you know, from pilots to scaled AI. Um, that that would be a good example. So that type of narrative and framework.
0: Now, that's really interesting because I think, um, as we've touched upon earlier, I think that's probably one of the biggest struggles of most data leaders or CDOs, right, is actually quantifying how much of this is because of us and our team and how do we not only quantify it but articulate that in a way then from a communication standpoint with the business as to we've played a role in this and you know then that kind of you're back in that loop then of yeah, right, if, well yeah. if you wanted me to do this then I need x right from an investment yeah. standpoint um, yeah. which was going to be my next question around the kind of communication model if you want to call it that based on, yeah. on that so obviously underneath all of that under the hood you've got this mechanism which can give you scores around you know the overall value creation that that you and your team are are delivering how important has the comms piece been in you know taking that message to the business
2: yeah yeah really important and probably the 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 bit maybe we haven't chat through yet is also my model so i've got about 150 people and i operate what we call a hub and spoke model So hubs are centers of excellence that master their discipline. So I've got um, data engineering, which is like platform level. I've got BI and analytics. I've got data science. Um, I've got uh, governance and operations. Um, And I've also got marketing technology happens to be in my area. So if you like five centers of excellence, that think of them as the horizontals um, or the hubs. And then we interface with the business uh, vertically. You could call those the spokes as well. So we've got quite a big vertical structure at Berry, like any company. So I've got a, there's a marketing team, there's a retail team, there's a financial services team, logistics and fulfillment, you know, each with hundreds, if not thousands of people. And what I try to do is my, my hubs, Hit the the rubber hits the road when we integrate with the spokes and yep. we help them with their DNA strategy. So for marketing, it's probably things like econometrics attribution for digital customer experience. It will be personalization, search recommendations. For retail, a lot is on um, forecasting demand for stock and product price promotion. Um, you know those type of retail basics for financial services it'll be it'll be credit fraud um so the 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 comms really comes from the integration of the hubs and the spokes and that's where really we do what we call it more or less like a jv on an awful lot of things like a joint venture where the spoke will say um with retail at the moment we really want to improve our stock availability and I'll say I think we could power that better with you know some advanced analytics and we'll do a joint initiative where Uh the DNA hub joins with the vertical spoke in this instance retail we create a pilot we'll demonstrate we can create value and then we'll jointly take that to an investment board to say we think we could you know improve our Performance by X, or availability, or a margin. um, Can we can we be funded that way? So it's it's quite a it's quite a progressive setup really for a data organisation. Probably comes from being the likes of you know a couple of startups where you're constantly bidding for money. You know you're constantly looking for that next round of funding. And a lot of that is just proving the value you can create, and do it in a way that's you know agile and um, um, really sells the benefit to the outcome.
0: Hundred percent. That's that's fascinating because I think as we've mentioned a couple of times now, that that piece of getting the investment through articulating what the value creation will be is often you know where people start to butt heads here, right? Um, And so, if I've got this right, you're working in a kind of joint venture style with the spoke or the, the, the domain of the discipline of the of the business and then taking that to the board and saying hey you know here's what we're trying to achieve here's our data analytics is going to help that to happen and for us to do that it's going to cost x and here's a pilot that we've run to show that we can get there or thereabouts
2: type yeah, of yeah yeah and and comms wise what i try to tend to always be the enabler um, but we we use it for en, for a phrase called powered by DNA so you know we sort of hashtag things which is because I'm always the person in the room that's second on the list if you see what I mean so you'll have you know whoever the big hitter from retailer is or the big hitter from you know the chief marketing officer or the digital that di- you know director or the supply chain director who's going to the board to talk about something and then there's a hashtag powered by DNA Mm. where I'll come in and say, so this is how we're going to power what the person's just said, you know, it's advanced algorithms, better descriptive analytics, you know, automation, whatever it may be. So yeah, seen as a trusted enabler. Um, and that that took a while to get there, obviously, because um, that's not just that's cultural, it's political, it's technical, it's PL driven. Took, took a while to start to build that type of um, relationship with the spokes in the business.
0: Yeah, it, I guess obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing, Steve, but if you were to look back now at kind of what underpinned your success of getting to a place where this is happening? Because as you very rightly said, you know, that's a, a huge cultural shift for practically any business, right? And I think a, there's a lot of CDOs or data leaders out there with, that would love to have a very similar setup that, you know, just aren't there yet. What what things do you think did you put in place that allowed you to to do that and, and this kind of, you know, these relationships to form?
2: Yeah, um, Yeah, so the hub and spoke model for me is massive. Because, um, you know, an operating model that allows you to mature your skills and your platforms horizontally, but then make sure the rubber hits the ground in a spoke. So I think for me, the op model is all important. Once you've got the op model, you've still got to build a relationship. So, and, you know, each of my spokes have more or less got like a client manager. It overlaps with you know products we might come on to chat about that but um so there there's a, somebody accountable for each spoke like in an agency model like a client success manager mm. that's then the day in day out relationship owner saying i know what you're trying to achieve did you know we could help like this did you know we've got a platform that allows you to have you know better descriptive analytic you don't need to do it on excel did you know we could build you a forecast there or you know those type of relationships. So I think at a ground level, that was massively important. And the same in a way at a top level, you know, getting to know all of my um peers and what what their strategies are. Um the third thing is um ge- generally branding and PR um is you could still have all that and everyone goes, well, who who are these data people? Are they any good? Um. So, very early joined a couple of networks, Data IQ, I'm a big believer in, you know, uh, and women in data. So, it was pushing out that very, and our structure and our strategies and our technologies are good. We've, you know, submitted for awards to get industry recognition. We're lucky enough to be shortlisted and, and won an award last year. So I think external validation also Mm. plays a big role because a lot of the times they still don't exactly know what I do because it is quite difficult under the bonnet to understand what is it again and how do you do it. So if you've got external validation that your approach is pretty good you know, you're you're getting voted as as being a good team, a good leader. Your key providers. So uh, we do an awful lot with AWS Terra Data Relation, who tend to be, you know, industry leaders. Yeah, pointing out or saying, actually, you know, they they know what they're doing. So those three things really. So opt model, um, the relationships within that, especially at every level, and and you know, probably great PR around it um but you know external validation on the the dna type
0: uh, level yeah 100% i mean i to be honest harp on about this type of stuff quite a lot on platforms like linkedin you know about raising brand awareness of you know obviously there's external benefits right of you being a well known figure so as an example good talent will always want to come and work for someone like you irrespective of the company that you work for right that's yeah. that's one but then the ex, you know the external validation piece from award companies or event companies or whatever the case may be that often you know does drive more buying right more buying and recognition internally that oh actually you know we must have a really great team and and, yeah. and there's more interest right which it, it's um i'm really glad that you kind of mentioned that because that's something that i kind of bang on about all the time but i think you know the the, the talking of data needing to sell itself or market itself better is so important that a lot of data yeah. teams really struggle with because it's not really natural for a lot of people.
2: No, yeah, that, that's really hard. And, and you know, I, I'm pretty extrovert within a data environment and I've got, you know, I normally lie manage and, you know, over indexed on introverts who um, don't even want to claim the glory for something that they've done. you know they're just happy to somebody else and that's where we created that hashtag powered by dna as well it was a softer way of going if you created an amazing piece of analysis and or a data product or an insight product that's driving tremendous action i really want you to claim it and i know you're really going to struggle to stand up in front of a load of people and that was me um that was dna but it's really important to to have that you know um link to value creation so you know i ask everybody if there's a slide in the bottom left to put hashtag powered by dna if there's you know if you just want to soften the way you talk about it to call it hashtag powered by dna mm-hmm. there's a softer way of like elevating the fact that oh actually there's there's some maths in the background here some data in the background so, but it has been a real challenge because, you know, d- data people tend to be just want to crack on, do my day job, um, you know, not always wanting to stand up and talk. Um, and also, it, even when you do, it's quite hard to translate it into business speak. There's, you know, where data storytelling and data evangelism comes in and, you know, comms expertise rather than, you know, the technical and mathematical expertise that a lot of us have got.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I guess to bring all that together then into back to the, the strategy that you've got around the four pillars, it doesn't, because I, I guess we, we're in a place now where you're starting to get a lot of organizations building, you know, data academies, or they'll have a communications or change type of function that sits with it within that. But it seems like you've got your four pillars that, you know, make up the strategy, but then all of the PR and comms just kind of sits over it. Is that being owned by you and driven by you really?
2: Um, yeah, and it is really. Um, but what you start to find is um, it, be, because um, maybe we're getting a bit of kudos in a couple of data environments, be it AWS, Data IQ, our external brand, like varies external PR, you know, investor relations, that type of stuff are starting to go, oh, actually, we, we we should be talking about this more because it's a capability that we're proud of. And we always looks like we're winning a few awards, and we're doing good things. And Stephen and his team tend to be talking at these events, so there's a natural link then. So you know, we are now getting, as a for instance, on the annual report, um, we're getting asked, "Oh, what? How has our data capability grown in the last year?" Because people are like want to know about it, and obviously at the minute everybody wants to know about AI, which is one facet, but um yeah we're getting positive pr and we're also getting pulled in and it becomes like a bit self-fulfilling because then if you're on the you know annual report with your own page that's talking about data then data gets funded because it's on that page in this you know the, the the cycle that you talk about um of of a branding pr marketing for your own function yeah
0: no that's uh that's fascinating um very interesting you touched upon um Product data, product data as a product, which there's a whole host of debates and conversation around that as a as a thing, if you will. Um, what's been your experience in relation to building data products or having data as a product in kind of the value creation piece?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those. It's it's a relatively complex topic. Um, I'll I'll frame it firstly in just collaboration and the language piece so um it you know if you if you go into have like a hub and spoke model and be like an agency a lot of the time is you've got to be able to communicate what you do to spokes that don't fully understand it so you know talking to them about aws s3 versus redshift and the difference in <laughs> relational databases and object stores for scale of you know storage and processing they're just going to go what so we say you can either have a cube or you can have a, a lake and then you talk about the features of those things it's, a, it's an easier conversation because they sort of want to ah oh, get some of the language can I have a cube please <laughs> um, um, and so it's for me it's just a way of bridging the communication gap between uh, this data ecosystem that's more complex than ever and a business that wants to understand it and create value from it and you need a common language so that's how we tend to use it for platforms, products, and services. Hmm. So we'll say, ah, you um, you you want to move your data to be able to do a report on it. You need a pipeline and a dashboard, which to us in the techies is, you know, some type of ETL logic pipeline might have to scale. Is that real-time, not real-time? And a dashboard, well, that's either a full Power BI, drillable dashboard, or it's a one-off piece of analysis, so within our area we have to understand the complexity but the business have sort of done their tick pipeline tick dashboard thanks very much um so it's it's we productized our language um which is back to that, that trying to do that client management success management so it's not perfect definitely you know and especially some of my technical Team will just go. You just simplified it far too much. <laughs> you can't call it a pipeline when we've got, you know, HBR replication of a, a versus a DBT flow. Uh, you know, but to the business, it's like you want to move your data. We're going to call it a pipeline. So I I believe in it from that context. um I think it also helps with ownership um to say you know data stewardship things it, it's pretty difficult to get buy-in and distribution across an organization with something as complex as data so when we sort of say they're your dashboards because they are do within your domain and that's your data yeah, i think it helps with that type of language um uh, so yeah and then i guess as we move into you know fabrics mesh and and all that complexity <laughs> where you can actually then create full data products, you know, so the the data and the platform and the logic all integrated into some bubble and you can point at it, call it a product, it, it'll lend itself to that as well. Um we're only really just moving into that space. So so yeah, so i just believe in the the I believe in it from a language perspective and an accountability perspective, first and foremost.
0: Yeah. Hundred percent, and and I think that's what I've certainly seen how it's um, helping to drive kind of adoption and literacy, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Right, and it's it's I guess you've articulated that very very well there because the debate then you often hear about is well, you know, is it a product like is it you know is the new features and is it being maintained and it's like well, possibly not, probably not, but I guess the initial point here is that we just want the business to be interested to yeah. understand what it is there talking about and and using and if it's going to help them to use it more or use it better then so be it right you know even if it is a bit of a kind of marketing ploy if you will around how you talk about these things in an oversimplification sure but uh but yeah so i I guess internally then are you calling these people kind of client success managers or are you calling them are are these kind of data product owners or whatever yeah that's it they're they're
2: actually called data product owners so their job titles are senior product owners data product owners um within the data um community um and, it, I mean, it's still, a, you know, it's a real hybrid role because you've got to be technical, you've got to understand product, you've got to understand agile, you've got to be able to communicate, you tend to half be product and delivery. So it, it, it's quite a um, multifaceted role and probably not doing as much product as one would like, but moving more towards that. Um yeah, so that's that's what they're called is like has my data product owner for retail, has my data product owner for digital. Um yeah. so um yeah, which seems to work. Um it, it definitely works from a relationship and comms perspective. Um
0: yeah. 100 yeah. percent Yeah, no, I mean we've we've done a, a load of work in kind of helping organizations on on that journey. It tends to be exactly that role, you know, it's almost bridging the gap between the domain and the data team and spotting opportunities because they are on the ground, right? You know, so um, I guess businesses that don't have those types of people within them, it's very difficult to kind of build that working relationship and spot where yeah. things could be done better or more efficiently or whatever the case may be. So that makes uh, perfect sense. Well, Steve, look, um conscious of your time, um, but a fascinating conversation today. So thank you very much for uh, joining us and yeah, look forward to seeing how the rest of your journey at Vary unfolds.
2: Brilliant. Well, thanks for having me,
0: Karen. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our Bishan group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.